Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu. And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast. A podcast for marketing ops pros. And RevOps pros. Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals. Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of OpsCast brought to you by the MoPros, now powered by MarketingOps.com. I'm your host, Michael Hartman, joined today by co-hosts Naomi Lou and Mike Rizzo. In this the year of? It's the year of the MoPro. I love that. <laughs> Naomi's, are you, like, I can't even see you. Are you just like rolling your eyes at us now at this point? I'm always rolling my eyes at you guys. Every yeah. day. I am thinking, though, that at the intro, we should be like, hey, um, MarketingOps.com, like, is actually powered by the MoPros. There really, you go. Do we need to switch it up? All we right. got to flip it. We got to invert it. Because at the end of the day, this is all about what the community needs. So It is. Maybe we could get somebody to help us with the marketing of this. Maybe we could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's get into it. So joining us today to talk about the rising importance of marketing ops uh, is Tim Parkin. So Tim is the president of Parkin Consulting, his consulting company. He is a consultant advisor and coach to marketing executives globally. He specializes in helping marketing teams optimize performance, accelerate growth, and maximize their results. He's also a speaker, author, and thought leader who has been featured frequently in industry publications. So, Tim, thank you for joining us today. And for, for our audience, Like it's a late night for him. So thank you, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I think marketing operations is so important. I'm just excited to dive into the discussion. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you here. And you know, if you've got a, you know, cues for us for uh, for how to market, how to, do we use marketingapps.com powered by the MoPros? Or, we'll get into that later. Maybe <laughs> maybe after we're done recording. Hey, it's a great domain name to begin with. So congrats <laughs> to you guys for that. Yeah. Ah, I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So when we talked, uh, it's been now a while, Tim, when we talked before kind of prepping for this, you said that you you thought that marketing ops should be a senior level, VP level role. I, 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 I didn't, I don't remember, maybe you even said C-level role, but like, let's start there and why you think that marketing ops should be at that level in the, kind of in the hierarchy of, of an organization. Yeah, let me start by telling you I'm biased. So my background is in technology and, and software development. I think it gives me a unique advantage about marketing and the work that I do with helping marketing teams improve performance and results. You know, marketing, uh, a lot of people don't realize until you get into marketing that there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of integrations and data and technology. And that's why marketing ops is so important. And the, the reality is that most traditionally trained marketers or most people who think about marketing don't realize the nitty gritty details. And oftentimes what happens is a marketing team will say, you know, things are not working here. Uh, things keep running into each other. We don't have the connections that we need. We don't have all the pieces working together. Let's add a marketing ops person. Let's get marketing ops support. And I think that's the backwards way to think about it. You know, marketing requires that you have marketing ops from the beginning to support the marketing that you're doing. And without it, you're going to really struggle. So curious, uh, I think you're not going to get a lot of disagreement from this crowd for sure. But just, uh, do you think... I, I, what I heard from you is describing, I think, a scenario like maybe an early stage company, right? Where, you know, typically I think hiring salespeople first and maybe some marketing one person. And But I, I, you know, do you think that same tenet applies to both startup as well as sort of growth companies or even larger companies if they haven't really thought about it already? 
I can't imagine there's a whole lot of those, but there's probably some out there. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. You know, the problem with marketing ops is that oftentimes, unfortunately, we're faced with trying to fix a mess. And the reason that we walk into a mess that we have to fix is because it was never thought through strategically from the beginning. And so I do think even if you're a startup, you need to have some consideration for having marketing ops support from the beginning, top down. And that's why I firmly believe that marketing ops should be an executive level role, a VP role, uh, at least, because you can't build it from the bottom up. I mean, you can, and most people try to, but really, if we're honest with ourselves, you have to think about this from the top, looking down and having this aerial view, if you will, of your marketing and how all the pieces need to connect. I mean, there's so many issues. I know you guys are familiar with this and the listeners as well. You walk into a company, there's so many operational issues that have to undone, uh, re-solved, fixed, corrected. And it's because it wasn't thought through beginning. And so whether you're a startup, whether you're an enterprise company, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you don't have an ops person, you need one today, if you need one yesterday, and you need to think through these things and build a plan. Every little piece you add complicates things and creates more mess. And that's why it has to be number one. It has to be thing from the top down. Do you think the expectation though from especially on a smaller a smaller company is that the marketing the first marketing ops hire is going to be someone that's going to be fixing those messes like how do you change that script or flip that script like I've actually it would be interesting like I, I agree with you that you know marketing ops should of course be you know a senior role that has you know a lot of influence within the organization whether when it comes to like budget and spend and like the technology that the company uses. But I think that a lot of times people are reactive to things, right? They're like, our lead flow is broken. Sales is not getting leads, qualified leads fast enough or properly. Let's hire somebody to do the fixing and the tinkering as opposed to like, let's hire somebody who has that strategic mind and view of like that digital transformation piece. I think that like, how how would you say that, you know, an organization should flip that because I've just, I've never, I, I agree with you. I just never seen that though. Right. To like change that mindset. You're absolutely right. Naomi. And it's a big challenge. It's the status quo. I think that we need to flip mm-hmm. and it's going to take experienced people and having the right advisors and guidance and, and experienced people who are starting a new company to say, you know what, this is the right way to do it. Let's build it from the beginning this way. You wouldn't dare build a house without the foundation, without the structure. And yet that's how we approach marketing. Let's just throw some stuff together. And like you said, now this thing's broken. Let's go fix that. Well, that's another thing. Let's go and fix that. Then we approach things in such a haphazard way. And that's the reality of most startups that don't have the experience, the tenure or the guidance is that they don't know, right? And it's not their fault. They just don't have the experience. They don't know any better. But even at large companies, you know, this is the problem with CMOs. Companies don't treat marketing like what they should be doing. And they say, you know what? We have this company. Let's add marketing to it. Let's get a CMO. And it doesn't work out. And they say, you know what? It's been 12 months. Let's get a new CMO. That'll fix it. I mean, look what Peloton's doing right now. I mean, it's, it's a massive problem. And instead of saying, we are a marketing company, marketing is what we do. Let's build everything around that. I mean, obviously I'm biased here a little bit, but if you look at some of the most successful companies in the world, they're marketers first. They're a marketing organization. Apple doesn't make products. Apple's a marketing company. They market whatever the hell they make and they make some really great products. They just happen to, but they're a marketing company first. Disney is the same thing. Disney could make anything and sell it because they're a marketing company. 
and you go back to Walt's original flywheel diagram. I mean, it's amazing. This guy was I'm a marketer. I'm so glad you just brought that up. It's, <laughs> that it's incredible. Exactly if you haven't my seen head it. Just went. Google Walt Disney flywheel. I mean, this thing will blow you away. It was hand drawn years and years ago and it outlined everything they're doing to this day and more. And it's absolutely amazing. But this shows the heart of the company is marketing. I think Naomi, to your point, most companies are not marketing organizations and they try to tack on marketing. And that's the problem with most companies. They don't grow and why they're not successful. That's why marketing ops is so important to companies. If you're going to be a marketing organization, if you're going to do marketing at all, you have to have ops. And it's to your point, we have to change the stigma that we can just fix these things afterwards or it's not important. There's so many attribution issues, I mean, that I deal with today because no one thought about, you know what, how can we report on this in practice? It's a massive, massive issue. Hey, everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here, and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might have guessed it, Mopsapalooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th, and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim. But if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Excelibets. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect, learn, and grow among the best in the industry. Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm so glad you brought up the the flywheel thing. I think though, there's there is this underlying product market fit sort of thing that happens. You know, as you start to think about even introducing uh, in an enterprise organization that's been around a really long time, right? As they go to introduce new products, um, they're still experimenting with what's what's the right message, what's the right strategy, how do we bring it to market, all of those kinds of things, and so. You know, I would argue organizations like uh, an Apple or or a Disney, um, they had a point of view, right? And their point of view, uh, at least if I was trying to recall correctly for Apple is, look, a, a closed ecosystem will provide a better experience. And, and by creating an environment for a wholly connected a closed ecosystem that provides this wonderful experience, experience, we will build products to service that need. And, and then what came of that were all of the things that, that happened next. And when you look at the flywheel of Disney, their point of view was, we're, we're developing caricatures, char- characters <laughs> uh, that speak to a particular role or audience or demographic. And there's a purpose to those. And, and, our goal is to deliver that experience through different channels. And yeah, fundamentally, that makes them a marketing company with a purpose to deliver this experience through, through their ecosystem. Um, and, and those are, those are that, that was the, their vision, right? These organizations, like they had this like purpose behind their sort of existence. Um, and, 
not every company comes into that. They come in trying to solve a very core problem, right? They see a problem in the market and they're trying to address it either with service or product or a mix of both. Uh, but they don't, they don't, they're not necessarily coming at it with this, like, Hey, we know sort of why we exist. And eventually that mission and vision is born by who, whatever CMO you hire, I guess. Um, so it's really hard. Problem, though? <laughs> it's a problem. I think if you don't know why you exist, I think, I think your perspective is true that a lot of companies try to solve a problem. I don't think that's wrong, but I think that at the end of the day, they have to think bigger about well, why are we here? And if we weren't here, would people care? And that's why marketing really is the fundamental business. You know, Peter Drucker famously said, you know, uh, the goal of marketing is to make selling superfluous. And I think it's true that, mm. you know, we can sell stuff, we can create products, we can solve problems. That's all fine and good. But look what, look at liquid death. I mean, they sell water, $700 million valuation selling water in a can. I mean, it's remarkable. That's marketing. And if companies today want to have any level of success, it's about marketing. It's not about sales. It's not about anything else. And I think that's a great example of the power of branding and marketing, liquid death, that is, and just the remarkable story and adventure they're on. So again, I think I have such a, a rooted perspective here, but I believe it's all comes back to marketing. And if you don't understand why you exist, if you don't perceive, perceive with marketing first, uh, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that, um, I think if you can establish that, that existence, the, the why behind the, the sort of what you're doing next, right. Um, it's okay to slow down to speed up. Right. And, Agreed. and marketing yeah. else people push on that all the time. Yes. <laughs> but they always get only on days and N and Y, but they always get reprimanded for it. Yeah. It's like, why are you asking all these questions? Well, it's because we're trying to ask, well, understand we see, the we're why. See, we see ahead, right? We see around the corner what's what the downside is. Yeah. So I, I'm curious. So, Tim, is not that it was the same thing, but I was having a conversation earlier today or earlier this week about how I think uh, different contexts, right? The, the like hiring process is kind of broken. And I think it's particularly true in marketing ops and in like the, 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 true market value of people in marketing ops is not what your HR team thinks it is because everything's sort of inflated. I think that, and I think that is true across all marketing in general, right? Titles and roles are very, like there's all kinds of variants there. And I think that's part of the, like, that's a symptom of, I think the same, part of the same, another symptom of the same underlying thing about this lack of understanding of the value of marketing across organizations. So, Going back to, again, to our conversation, one of the things that you said, and I want to see if this is what you were kind of getting at, you talked about a notion that marketing is more of a process function than a creative one, which I think will rub any marketer who's listening to this a little bit the wrong way, but I think there's some truth to this, but is is that what you were getting at with kind of what we just were talking about, or is there something else that you were getting at? No, I'm 100% correct. I, I don't think marketing is creative as people think. And I do think that'll rub some people the wrong way, especially the more creative people. Uh, keep in mind, I say that I'm an engineer at art. And so, of course, it can be more process oriented. But I believe what we're seeing today is the transformation of marketing uh, becoming more and more of a process. So I mean, on two levels, one, operationally, internally, how you function, how you execute, how you deliver marketing is a process. If you don't have a process to do great marketing, then you will fail. And Edward Deming had a famous quote where he said, if you can't describe what you do as a process, then you don't know what you're doing. 
And I work with a lot of companies, a lot of marketing teams, and they don't know what they're doing. Let me tell you that. But I think the second part is the process of marketing. And what I mean by not being so much creative and more process is if you look at like Facebook ads, for example, or any kind of uh, social advertising like that, LinkedIn, et cetera, what you see is it's now a volume game where the algorithms can help us determine the right people and what they respond to. And we don't really have so much control over the creativity or rather we don't want it because we just put a bunch of stuff in front of the algorithm and it helps us get the right creative in front of the right people. Well, it's not so much us directing that. So just, I I would argue that going even beyond creative, it gets into, let's keep it to ad, like ad copy, right? One of the really interesting things I've seen both personally and through other people is that ad copy that is sometimes includes poor grammar, misspellings, it's off-brand, actually performs better than what you think you're on-brand, right? Really well-written grammar from a grammar standpoint, copy work. Like, like that's one of the things is like, it's really hard for people who are, if they're, and I have some friends who are content people who would like, we could go into, you know, get in a fight over, you know, do you use the Oxford comma or not? But I was going to say, is this going to the Oxford comma? I, you are going. going to into the Oxford comma. <laughs> It's always yeah. back to the Oxford comma. No, that's but um, and like I think that's a part of it, right? I think so. I think your point is we, and this maybe is again a part of the symptom of how marketing is perceived is that I, I say sometimes to people I work with, and I've said it in multiple places, like they're pushing back about things that I say that it's something that only marketers care about. Right? The rest of the world does not give a shit if you have a comma in the right place on it. True. It's so true. I don't know the difference between it's and it's. You know, my wife's a journalism background. She always gives me uh, flack about that because I always I'll, I'll, I'll write send, it I'll, wrong. I'll send you. I'll send you a link. <laughs> Thank you. I'd love to learn. Yes. Well, I think it's interesting to your point because you know the pandemic disrupted the whole world in many ways. But one of those is the zoomification. You know, we're we're now on Zoom uh, in meetings. We're we're more remote. Companies are now fully remote. You know, I've been remote for fifteen years. But companies are now thinking this is the normal thing to do. We're much more casual. It's okay to have your pets and your kid in the background. One of my clients is you know, one of the largest um, pet manufacturers. All of their, all, when you're meeting with all of them, they all have pets on, on Zoom, okay? It's crazy. But also now we have TikTok. And TikTok has been also the next level of casual. I mean, there's people in their pajamas laying on their bed with their hair a mess doing TikToks and getting millions of views doing it. And so my point here is that to your point about, you know, the grammar and misspellings and uh, more simple imagery and creative, we're becoming more accustomed to that. We're becoming more real and more human. And what that means is it's taking away the need for polished creative. There's still creative endeavors in marketing. I'm not saying there's no creativity, but it means that the professionalism of it, I think, has been eroded. Combine that with the algorithms that now can not only spread the right creative to the right people, but then you look at what AI is doing, which I have a background in technology and, and specifically AI and game development. And I thought AI will never change marketing. Look at what Dolly is doing, D-A-L-L-E. It's yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And it's terrifying to see. It is I'm, really I'm, scary, actually. It's, I mean, really, it's amazing, really but also scary. Yes, it's crazy. You think about the deep fakes. And I've always been against these copywriting tools that can write copy for you, but they're improving. So I think we're approaching a point where, you know, less and less of this is about creative. And more and more of marketing is about process. It all comes back to process that you need to have a process of how you approach your marketing, how you connect all the pieces that need to be connected, how you manage that, and how you can ex- execute on that. You know, speed used to be an advantage, but now speed is a necessity. 
And so operationally, that means that you have to be a fine-tuned machine in order to operate your marketing and do so quickly. Yeah, I, I said, and and one of the things that is going to just kind of going back to the point we were making earlier, right, is um, one thing that can improve on your process and your speed to 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 sort of deliver in to delivering on on your campaign or or what have you is uh, having a consistent point of view, right? Like just allowing your team to know operationally, like what direction you're you're supposed to be pointed in. <laughs> And, and, you know, my favorite thing to say is aim small, miss small. Right. And so like right. just consist, just be, and I definitely did not come up with that. Right. I stole that from a movie for sure. Um, but I love the, stealing movie quotes for applying <laughs> yeah. in, in real life. Every once in a while, people will read my LinkedIn profile and they'll be like, oh, I love the reference to tombstone. And I'm like, yes, I appreciate that. Um, but, but my, again, so like by having a point of view that you're, you're consistently sticking to and, and a strategy, even if it's for a quarter at a time, you know, that is, that is a win to improve on your process. And so when your ops team is asking you, you know, what is the core CTA? What is the core message? What is the thing that we need to be delivering on here? And like, how are you going to measure or define success? It's ultimately coming back to that. What is the point of view? That you want to make sure is delivered in this effort. So, Mike, would you could would another term for that be having core principles? Um, I I mean potentially. I think I think that you know uh, I'm involved in in lots of different organizations, right? As an advisor and all kinds of things, and I think that you can have core tenants and principles and a brand persona, but um, sometimes your desire to make that persona exactly what it is that you that you'd like it to be actually gets in the way of speed right so even though you've defined it it can actually get in the way of humanizing the brand enough to be able to just have anyone go write a post <laughs> got it and and be able to just you know make a market change and and adjust accordingly right it, it doesn't need to go through three or four or five rounds of revision um, it's a huge so issue. You know. Only three or four or five. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've seen places. Like a dream. I've seen <laughs> right? places. That I, I've seen places, and I stop paying attention when it gets to twenty. And I've <laughs> yeah. seen that. Fair so. enough. But yeah, it's I, true you know, though. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. I just want to underscore that. But you know, um, the larger the company is, the more of an issue it becomes, and the brand team and approval process, and just the very understanding, like you said. What is the strategy? What are we trying to do here? And the analogy I like to use is like bumper cars. Unfortunately, you know, most marketing teams are driving bumper cars and each person's in their own little bumper car and they're just ramming into each other randomly. And it's, it's chaotic and it's crazy. And it's a mess. And by having, as you described, not only a clear strategy, but a clear roadmap and plan of here's what we'll do and being prescriptive about it. You know, here's what the call to actions will be. Here's what success is. Here's our metrics. You know, so many teams are missing those fundamental pieces. Which leads us back to why marketing ops is so important and why it this together and, and needs to be have a seat at the table from the beginning and at the upper echelon to oversee all this and make sense of it because the team is drowning by themselves because they don't know what they should be doing or what the strategy is or how to get this copy approved or how can we move forward. Right. It's, a, it's a big mess. So, Naomi, it looked like you had, you were going to say something there. 
No, I'm just kind of taking this all in. I'm, I'm, this topic is something that on the branding side is, and, and, uh, you know, tone of voice and just the way that, you know, you speak to your customers is not like my, um, my role at EFI, my team, we are quite technical and execution heavy integrations and whatnot. We don't necessarily deal so much with the branding side and just, you know, so it's just, it's, it's a learning experience for me too, to kind of hear you guys chat about this. So, yeah, I, it, I want to go back to something we were talking about earlier, and I'm sure, Mike, Michael, you have more direction to take us in in this conversation too. Just just given the the show notes here, but I um I wanted to go back to a comment that we were discussing a little bit earlier around this idea that the the leadership function um could potentially be someone in a VP level role or what have you uh, that's in marketing ops, and and frankly, like I totally agree. Um, I can't remember who I was speaking to a handful of months ago that um, I said, look, fundamentally, like there, there are very, very few professionals in the workspace today that have an understanding of the entire, like almost really the entire technology landscape and, and the art of the possible that can then say, okay, now that I understand all of this stuff, Tell me about what your business is trying to do <laughs> and how can I enable you? How can I enable the organization to go create change or, it, you know, reach that market or what have you? Um, it's not a CTO. It's not a CIO and it's not a CEO, right? Um, there, are there are roles for each one of those for very like specific reasons that you need those functions, but this enablement this this right hand person to this executive function, as uh, Dr. Debbie uh, Gagish would say in her backroom to boardroom book, right? Um, they they need that person because like who else can take the input of the business goals and objective and like hey we want to enter a new market how the heck do we do that? Oh well, don't forget about compliance. Oh, don't forget about cookie consents. Oh, and you're going to need this tool and this tool, and you're going to probably have to partition off an entirely new instance of Marketo because of ABC reason, right? Like no one else can do that. And so, do you think? Mike, go ahead. Yeah. Do you think that it is imperative for, in order to have a senior VP level marketing ops role within an organization that's kind of like one of the you know building from the the top down do you think it's imperative that the hiring manager has either come from an ops background or has worked with marketing ops adjacent like very extensively in their you know past career um because i don't see necessarily like an hr person or you know like just any type of um like I, I just don't see that happening unless that value has already been set or understood by someone who's going to be championing and advocating for that role. I'll right? Maybe the mate. CMO is hiring that VP role and yeah. the CMO used to be a marketing ops director somewhere, you know, like, I, I don't know, maybe they decided they wanted to go the CMO path as opposed to continuing in ops. Right. Yeah, I'll interject here, Naomi, because I think it's a great point. And again, you know, the reality you're bringing here at the table is so true. Um, my mentor always said that, uh, and I've had great experiences with HR. Let me prefix it by saying mm -hmm. that. But my mentor always said HR stands for hardly relevant. And I think that there <laughs> is some truth to that, <laughs> that, that they often don't know what they need. And they're more of a gatekeeper than anything else in some cases, unfortunately. 
But I think to your point, HR has obviously a role to play in the organization. I don't diminish that. However, I think they need to support themselves to, mm-hmm. to become aware of the need for this type of person. So, Mike, I'll let you respond, but I just wanted to add that, that I think that HR doesn't know what they don't know, unfortunately. It's not their job to know that necessarily. But I do think, Naomi, you're right, that it's an issue that needs to be addressed so that we can get the support that we need within the organization. Yeah, I I would echo that. I would say I I wouldn't ever expect in in this life or probably the next that HR would suddenly be the expert on on uh, which roles and functions are needed to go build an organization. I don't think that that's what they're there for. Uh, but maybe one day, if that if if that's if that's what the aspiration of that of that function is meant to, meant to do, then sure. Um, I think we're gonna laugh in about a decade's time. We're going to, if we ever come back and listen to this episode or any of the other ones that we're going to be like, yeah, remember when we kept fighting for this idea that somebody needs to be at the executive level in marketing ops? Like, um, I think we've just reached a tipping point in, in the way that, um, you know, the Naomi put it out or you said it earlier was, um, digital transformation, right? That was a really hot topic. Like not that long ago, (laughs) Um, and still there's organizations that need to go through this, but a lot of them are starting digital first. And so we're at a tipping point. We understand that there are these professionals that have seen sort of been through the fire, the trials and tribulations. And here we are on this podcast in this community advocating for the fact that these roles need to be there. There's books written about it. And, and soon it, it won't be a question of should it be there? It'll just be like, well, if you don't have that, whether you're an established public, you know, holding company with a board uh, or a private organization with a board and investors, my, my expectation would be that if we're, if what we're saying is true, all of those executives, all of those investors and all of those board members are going to say, where's your marketing ops leader? Because you're not going to get anywhere. It's clear. Like it is clear as day <laughs> that you're not going to get anywhere without that function. And so to your, to sort of go back to what you're asking me and Tim, what you were bringing up earlier too, what I was going to say is, um, the, the typical startup on, on the startup side of things, right. Um, this episode should serve as an opportunity for someone to set aside ego, right. Um, when you're a startup founder, (laughs) There's so many times where you think that you know all of exactly how you want to market or what your product does or who it's for and all that other stuff. And eventually you keep letting down additional barriers uh, through that journey and you go, look, I don't know how to do sales. Nope, I don't know how to do customer success. Oh, crap. I actually don't know what our customers want. That's why I hired someone to lead product to go figure out what the heck our customers want. But you started off with something, and if you're a really good leader and a CEO, you're going to be able to fill the room with a bunch of really smart people, and then you're going to win, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and, but ultimately, it's set aside the ego and bring in you know the people that can help you. And hopefully, 10 years down the line, we've actually got the investors and the board members telling the CEO to right. do exactly that. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, maybe that's the path to... Yeah, we we our our guest and Naomi's friend Vivian Chan. You know, gosh, was that a year ago that we had her on? Where she said, right, future CMOS are going to come up through marketing ops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's yeah, true. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and I think that, to Mike's point, this is what I'm doing now with my clients. You know, uh, is 
bringing on a VP level marketing ops person. And I think that and you're right, Mike, that it's, it's going to, we're at a tipping point. We need it. It's going to happen more and more. You know, not all of my clients, you know, I'm fortunate. I have the pleasure of most of my clients are massive companies. Um, but even still, many of them don't accept this notion and need a VP of marketing ops or, or a role like that. Some of them, even some of the smaller ones, you know, person company, 500 million are accepting that and realize already the need for that type of role. So it's really encouraging to see. And I think to your point, you know, hopefully it can trickle down to where startups are thinking about the, from the beginning, marketing, unfortunately, only gets more and more complicated. There's more platforms, there's more data, there's more connections, more and more and more. It's only going to get harder. And that's why the need for marketing ops is becoming more and more necessary uh, from the beginning to have it all connected. So I think you're right. In 10 years, even in five years, it's going to be interesting to see that this is the norm rather than the exception. Yeah, so, so, I certainly hope so. <laughs> so one of the one of the things we talked about, again, Tim, going back to our, our earlier call, was thinking of marketing ops as a role versus a function or vice versa. And uh, it, it feels like we've touched a little bit on that, but can you kind of break that down? What do you, what do you mean by it should be? I think I think what you said was it should be treated like a function, not a role, if I got it right. So correct Absolutely. Me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think the problem is, you know, I work with a lot of marketing teams uh, and what you realize really quickly is that some people have subject matter expertise, you know, within their industry or their field. But those groups of people uh, often don't have the ops experience or background, and they don't really understand, you know, uh, how the how the bread is made uh, or, or the behind the scenes. And so they can do some stuff. They know what to request. They know how to write copy, but they don't know how the pieces fit together or how to make them fit together. And I think that there's more education we need to do if we understand and agree that marketing ops is so important about you know uh, data and integrations and reporting uh, analysis and platforms and technology, I think all of this stuff is really important. And to be a marketer, you know, there's this T-shaped marketing thing you can Google and people talk about that. And I think we need something that supports marketing ops in there. To be a marketer, you have to know something about marketing, in my opinion. And if you don't, you're, you're cutting yourself short and missing out on a lot of opportunity. So this is why I believe within the organization, it's wrong to just hire a marketing ops person and think that you're done. And to think that that can sustain you because it can't and it won't. And it might for today, but that's not thinking about long-term and tomorrow. And so marketing ops is definitely much more than a role. I think it's, it's good to start with a role, but you need to build this out as a function. And that's, I go back to having, you know, the VP level marketing ops person, having this as a function, having a seat at the table. Uh, and also beyond the function, the team needs to understand what is marketing ops and what is all this stuff we're doing and how does it fit together and how do we actually operate it and, and make it happen? So I think there's a lot more education. I think there's a lot more to do. And I think, you know, Mike was talking about, you know, uh, digital transformation, what used to be a thing, and now it's, you know, more commonplace. Demand generation, the same. I think marketing ops has come due. It's time that we accept that this is, this is marketing, really, uh, and they're inseparable. So do you, do you uh, maybe this is a bad analogy, but what popped in my head is the difference between accounting and finance, right? And that there's sort of two distinct functions. And people who don't, people who don't know them may not, may, may not realize that they are different, but... I think people are familiar with it. Like finance is a very different function than than accounting. Is kind is that what you're thinking? Like mo- marketing versus marketing ops are two different and distinct but related but functions. Absolutely, I'll take you one step further and say bookkeeping. I think most marketing teams treat marketing ops like bookkeeping. 
Like you go over there and go fix the books, you know, and make sure everything's in, in line and in order. Uh, and that's not how it should work at all. And we can't relegate it to that level. It needs to be a much higher level. It needs to be much deeper, much more uh, wider across the whole market. Yeah. And um, I think the other opportunity, just sort of tying back to this idea of like, we talked about creativity earlier in this discussion. Um, I think, I think something that's also, you know, almost a word of caution for, for all of us um, in this function now is that like, it's both, it's both a word of caution and, and, and sort of an opportunity at the same time is that getting into this idea of creativity, like you in a marketing ops role, you can share with your leaders, whether they're executives or other marketers, the art of the possible. Right. And, and like, like you can be the crazy person in the room that says like, Hey, check out this really cool little thing that I can do with this technology. Like, Hey, just so you know, now that we've acquired this thing and this thing and this thing, we could potentially do this. So come to your, I come to your, you know, team, whoever it is. And, and say, come with them with a crazy idea <laughs> and be like, Hey, there's this, like, not just like, like, oh, I can enrich the data because this new feature happened in HubSpot or whatever. I, I love it. Like, like, I love it when the stakeholders come into like crazy idea, like, can we do this? And I love, I love to me, that's the part of the role that includes creativity for marketing ops is right. trying to think like, how can we make that really cool idea come to life? Right. But, but so, but that's the, that's the stakeholder, as you started to say, right. Coming to you and saying, Hey, could, could we do this? And I would argue that there's two things happening here. One of them is we in marketing ops should be educating the art of the possible within our tech stack and trying to hold, you know, whatever, a QBR, some sort of something to educate our teams on you know, here's where we are and here's, here's some other possibilities that we could unlock within our stack. Uh, but the other thing that I'm a little worried about, and I, it's only coming to me now through this conversation is that like, I really hope that I, I don't think, I just, I don't feel it in my bones <laughs> that people in this function in marketing ops would do this, but I, I certainly think it's possible where they like, um, they want to like protect their like secret sauce. <laughs> And so, like, they're the gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this idea of job security. Like, well, if I tell them everything that's possible, then, like, you know, I won't have a job. <laughs> it's like, I don't think that's the thing, right? Uh, and so, I hope that I hope that there's enough sharing happening that, like, we're not, like, keeping this, like, uh, black box, like, secret hidden, you know, veil over, like, what's, what's potentially possible. Uh, I hope it goes the other direction. <laughs> I think well, that also just from the... a... oh, good. No, go ahead. No, you please. Uh, I was just saying, like, I think that art of the possible piece is super important. And it's, you know, the the topic of QBR that you brought up, uh, Mike, is, you know, something that obviously I'm a huge advocate and champion for. And it's something that we dedicate the majority of um, our QBRs too with our business partners, I call it, um, the need to know session, right. And it's always the part that, um, everybody, uh, just like really goes away and takes away all this like information. And it's, it's very rewarding to see them utilize the 
things that we've tried to educate them on in terms of technology adoption and seeing them find success in and get excited, right, about things like in terms of things that they didn't know were possible before and just, you know, sharing and paying that knowledge forward. I do work for um, a much larger company than, um, you know, I think some of our listeners and it becomes difficult. How do you, you know, make sure that there's nobody left behind when it comes to digital transformation, right? You have people within your organization that you support where some will just have a deeper technical aptitude and more interest than others. And it becomes a challenge where you are like, well, okay, if you go, if you subscribe to the logic that you are only as strong as your weakest link, then how do we make sure that everybody we support just kind of comes on that journey with us? And I've found that it's really important to, you know, like identify those strong technology leaders within the organization. And to, I I found that it's been successful to pair off with them and give them kind of like identify them as ambassadors, right. For their team and give them that specialized one-to-one knowledge, you know, don't hoard it, don't um, lock it away in your brain and share all of it. And then give them the responsibility to, you know, let me take that back to my team and and make sure that everybody else is um, aligned and, and on board and understands everything, right? As much as possible. And then coming together back as a group during the QBRs to just reinforce that. What do they say? It takes like seven times repeating something or learning something before you really retain it. So you, you don't you know, have some people take longer. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Maybe 70 times. <laughs> I was going to say, Naomi, something. could you repeat that? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I'll send it to an email. You know, thanks. <laughs> Naomi, what I heard you say is, you know, some organizations have dinosaurs, you know, and unfortunately a lot of executives are dinosaurs and that they don't know what's possible. They haven't stayed up with the technology and the trends and the changes. And so we have to be re-educating the whole team, the whole organization. No, I did not say possible. the word dinosaur. I just want to be clear. You didn't. Right here. See, I did. I did. <laughs> See Tim, Tim's looking right at me. That's what I think it is. <laughs> I want to say I did. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I talk with these people. They're some of my clients, you know, and, and it's crazy to see that they don't understand, you know, something as simple as a heat map and what it can do, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to give an example. And so we need to educate the whole team about, as Mike was saying, what's possible and the art of the possible, which I love that saying. And I think from a budget perspective now, especially as a lot of companies are cutting back, you know, we invest in some really expensive tools and platforms and to not utilize them to full effect. Uh, is a waste of money. It's a waste of resources and also a waste of opportunity. And so I think that in more of an impetus for us to be really understanding what can these tools do, how are we even the most out of it. And to your point, Naomi, we need champions for that. We need ambassadors. And a different concept that I talk about with my clients is test-driven marketing, which we can explore if you'd like. But essentially, you know, you have to be testing things. I think that's what Mike was alluding to. And one of the best things I heard that you can take away about testing things in your organization, whether you're small, whether you're big, is to have people come up with ideas, prioritize them and try them, obviously, but give out an award, an award for the best idea that didn't work. And that, I'll repeat that, the best idea that didn't work, that will give you lots of innovation, lots of things to try, and it rewards people on coming up with great ideas, not necessarily on the results and execution of those and the outcome of it. Because you want to foster creativity and innovation, not necessarily whether it worked or not. You don't know that. You have well, to try I, a lot so, of things. So I don't I think there's an adage. It's like, I didn't, you know, I either won or I learned, right? I think that's, yes. like, if, if the goal is to learn, 
if the ultimate goal is to be like uh, have some sort of outcome that benefits the business, great. But if you can't get that, if you can learn from it, that's the next best thing. I actually think it's back. I think it's the opposite of that too. That, you think it's you know, the opposite. Testing is, testing is only about learning. And if you get if you get a positive result, that's great. Um, but you should set out to learn something um, because if you get a result and don't learn anything, you know how do you repeat that? Uh, and so I would say learn first. And if you get a result, great. But if you learn enough, eventually you'll get results. Love it. Yeah. All right. So we've covered a lot of ground, and I I wish we could keep going on and on. But I let's put it this way. So I think given everything we talked about and your experience with your clients and everything else. Um, and I know you've done some writing about like attribution stuff too, which we probably won't get to get to, but what do you think are the implications for people who are both currently in marketing ops roles, as well as people who are, you know, going to be entering into the the profession maybe over the course of the next few years? I think it's easy. Two words buckle up. I mean, it's only getting harder. It's only going to change more. You know, the one thing marketing does is change every day. It feels like uh, there's new platforms, new technologies, uh, new challenges, new issues. So you know, buckle up. It's a bump, bumpy ride. Um, but I think it's one of the most exciting and invigorating and, and wonderful things. They talk about flow state being the intersection of something that really pushes your limits and and also you're really passionate and interested about. So I think for the right people, whether you're you know a veteran uh, in marketing ops or whether you're brand new, um, there's a lot to keep you interested and excited. However it will continue to change. And that's what I love about it is that every day is new and different and uh, things keep changing. And I'd like that would be interesting back on this podcast in a couple of years. Today, to look back a couple of years and say, my God, we had it easy, you know, and now there's all this uh, GDPR and cookies and attribution and all sorts of crazy issues. What will come tomorrow? And a whole new set of challenges. <laughs> and AI and... Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, That's there's right. deep fakes. Like, I remember <laughs> yes. when cookie tracking was creepy when I first learned about ad tech. And now I'm like, well, I don't care about if they track me on ads. I can... Right? My, my entire crazy. voice on Descript, if somebody got access to my recording, could just go make me say some nonsensical things. That's terrible. I'm not even here on the podcast. This is just my voice on AI. <laughs> just my voice. <laughs> All my opinions have been downloaded, and now it's just an artificial intelligence. Well, it's really you crazy. You can go on Google. Go ahead, Mike. I, No, go ahead, Tim. Oh, you can Google. There's a podcast recording someone made of Joe Rogan talking to Steve Jobs. And uh, obviously, it never happened. Um, it's all through AI. And it sounds just like it. Um, crazy. Fascinating to see what's happening with uh, AI and deepfakes. That's amazing. Oh, my, my jaw just dropped. Like, I, I, I have no words right now. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Well, I, I, what I was going to talk about is like when I first sort of went from you know, IT management consulting, doing financial services work and stuff like that to, to marketing, I was blown away. This is 20, 25 years ago. And the amount of data that was already out there about people. Now we use telemarketers and direct mail and all that. Now it's just, it's exponential. So it's crazy. Crazy times. Only going to get crazier. I'm now I'm going to have to go find that, that podcast episode you talked about. It says Rogan and jobs. Yeah. Rogan versus jobs. Yeah. It's, I listened to part of it and, uh, man, it sounds like Steve. It's, it's crazy. That's so weird. That is so, that, yeah, like, that is, like, I'm sort of speechless, actually, at this point. And yeah, just... it's, it's going to be hard to tell what's real and what's not. You know, I know that uh, Google has just come out recently with their serpent saying, you know, we're, we're going to 
de-rank, basically devalue AI written uh, articles. And my question is, how will they know? You know, there's this huge debate online of it. Is it just, uh, um, smoke that they're blowing out there? Because, you know, how do they know? Unsplash came out and said, you know, image, image sharing site said, uh, we won't accept AI generated images. How will they know? You know, it's getting to the point where it's so good. You can't tell. So it's fascinating times. Really exciting. Yeah. They own the software. They're going to buy all there the tools. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. Oh, man. All right. Well, this has been fascinating, Tim. This has been a great conversation. If, if folks want to connect with you or keep up with what you're doing, uh, either publishing stuff or with your consulting company, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. LinkedIn. You can find me. I post daily there. Tim Parkin on LinkedIn. That's P's and Paul or Parkin without the G, basically. And then my website as well, timparkin.com. Easy. Like, I wish I could do that. Doesn't I have <laughs> tparkin.com also. Uh, fortunately, oh. that's not set up yet, but yeah, shortest domain. Gobble, I gobble get, them so. all up. Hey, you know, okay. I know some people that can help you set up a domain forwarder for that if you'd like. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Nice. Tim, thank you so much. This has been a, this has been a great conversation and I, it feels like we just scratched the surface, honestly. Absolutely. So, yeah. So um, maybe at some point we bring you back, but Naomi, Mike, as always, thank you. It always, it's always fun when we're all together here and thanks to you, all of our listeners for, for joining us and giving us, uh, letting us invade your space, if you will. Um, so Continue to provide your feedback and support. And um, if you have suggestions for people to join us, uh, we are doing a little bit of a shift for 23, but we'll talk about that as we get closer to 2023. Until next time, thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.